Good evening, class, and welcome to this Wednesday night Bible study at the Antioch Church of Christ. My name is Michael Whittington, and I'm the class teacher for the service on Wednesday. I actually preach for the congregation there, along with several other great ministers of Christ. And we certainly invite you to attend our services on Sundays. Um, just bring a mask, sit in the pew. Uh, we have them taped off to, um, to achieve the protocols that have been put in place. But we, as the family of God, love to congregate on Sunday and come together and celebrate our risen Lord and our salvation in him. Um, two weeks ago, we began a series on the 51st Psalm. It's a beautiful psalm of contrition, a psalm of renewal. It's actually a prayer for renewal. And we've gone through the first Wednesday, it was sort of an introductory um, lesson. You can go back online and you can look it up at the Antioch Church of Christ at, at our website, antiochcofc.org, and pull up the appropriate Wednesday uh, Bible class. Last Wednesday, we took the first two verses. Um, and then tonight, we'll start going through verses three and four. There are 19 verses in the 51st Psalm, um, and we've only covered two. We'll be doing this for about eight weeks, um, this series of lessons. It should last about seven or eight weeks. I'm not exactly sure how long. We'll see how it flows as we, as we continue to move. But the whole uh, Psalm, all 19 verses, are really a prayer of renewal. And we all need to be renewed, do we not? We all sin, fall short of God's glory. We do things that we shouldn't do. We um, say things that we shouldn't say, and so we ask God for forgiveness. Some of these things that we do, we might consider small and trivial. Um, other things may be heinous. The psalmist, David, King David, who wrote this psalm, had just committed some what we would call um, really serious, uh, heinous, um, awful sins. I know God supposedly, you know, I mean, as I read scripture anyway, I realize that that anytime we sin, we fall short of God's glory and we disobey. And God groups them all together, I think. And, you know, one sin is no worse than another sin. But on this side of eternity, I'm sure that we would uh, prioritize our sins. And I believe David did as well. And, um, and the sins that David committed, which led him to uh, writing this beautiful uh, psalm. It was meant to be sung. All of the psalms were. Um, and, and David was a musician as well as a king. Uh, so anyway, um, welcome, and let's go ahead and get into the 51st psalm. I have the PowerPoint on the screen here that I'm sharing with you. Um, last week we talked about the background, but let me very quickly, I think I can do this quickly, um, just remind us why David penned the 51st Psalm. I believe the background's always important, and by the time we finish this eight-week series, uh, this eight-week series, uh, I have no doubt that you will, at the very least, have gotten this background down. down. Um, we realize that um, in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, if you want to read it in its entirety, uh, it's a very good read, and it really gives the uh, preface to the 51st Psalm and the 32nd Psalm, which I hadn't mentioned up until now, but, but Psalms 32 is also a Psalm 
of contrition, but it's a psalm that, that had a joyful note to it, unlike the 51st Psalm. But both psalms are based clearly on the sin that, that David committed with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, um, her husband, and the betrayal of Uriah the Hittite, one of his mighty men. So David's sins were clear. He saw Bathsheba uh, bathing on a rooftop. He was walking the, uh, the uh, rooftop of his own palace. And no doubt, uh, many of his general officers had their homes surrounding the palace. And, um, and Uriah the Hittite was, was one of the 37 mighty men. So would be considered a very senior ranking officer in the, um, in the army of Israel. Um, and therefore, I think David may well have just, you know, afforded these men these nice homes. At any rate, we do know this. We know that Bathsheba, a beautiful woman, the wife of Uriah, was bathing on the rooftop. Very common for the wealthy to bathe on the rooftops, um, to have the water drawn by servants and so forth. Uh, David saw her. He lusted after her. He inquired, who is she? Um, they said, this is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. At any rate, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He then, to cover his sin because she was pregnant, he then wanted Uriah to come back home, to lie with his wife, to cover the sin that David committed. But when Uriah returned, um, he was too honorable to uh, go to his own home and enjoy food and his, and his wife. Um, because his men were fighting in the field, in the battle. So he felt like that due to his honor, that he should uh, respect them. And so he did not lie with Bathsheba. As the story unfolds, um, David realized that. And so the only thing that David felt like he could do would be to put Uriah on the front line of the battle. So he ordered the commander-in-chief in the field, um, to put Uriah on the front line. Uriah was killed. And then Nathan approaches David. And when Nathan approaches David, he shares a parable. It's a beautiful parable. And basically the parable was, oh great king, there were two men, a wealthy man and a poor man, a peasant. The a wealthy man had, had herds and flocks and he was in abundance, had all sorts of cattle, and sheep. The poor man had one little ewe lamb, a little female lamb, and the poor man, in fact, this female lamb was, was a pet to the family. But a, a visitor came to visit the rich man, and the rich man, instead of taking one of his own sheep or cows, he goes to this poor man's house, and he uh, steals, he takes uh, by virtue of power, he takes this one little ewe lamb and he butchers it and feeds it to his guests. You know, they cook it and so forth. And David actually stops Nathan in the middle of this. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And he says, such a man deserves to die. And Nathan, as any great um, speaker would, using a parable, using parabolic form, he closed with, you are the man. Now, when David was confronted with his sin, he simply laid 
prostrate before God, before the altar. And he offered this psalm, these, these words, this prayer of contrition. Um, as I said earlier, it's in the 51st Psalm, but also the 32nd Psalm. So that's where we are. The first two verses were a cry for cleansing. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. It's the very first step that we all need if we want to ask God to forgive us. We, re we, we, we need to realize that we need to cry aloud to have God cleanse us of our sins. Um, David fell upon the mercy of God, and he did that because David knew the character of God. God's character was steadfast love and abundant mercy. So based on that character, David then turns to uh, God in prayer and says, have mercy, have mercy. And then the the next uh, couple of phrases, blot out my transgressions, wash me, <clears throat> excuse me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. Those three verbs really tell it all, to blot and wash and cleanse. And so the first two verses dealt with a cry for cleansing. Now we come to verses three and four. So let's read the text. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that when you are approved, when you are proved right, when you speak, uh, and let me re read that again, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. God, of course, is sovereign, and God's righteousness and his justice are always there. David knew that. So David is not only crying to, 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 to God to have him cleansed of his sin, he's acknowledging the reality of the sin. It's the second step in any renewal. If I want my life to be renewed, then the first step is to call upon God for a cleansing. The second step is for me to realize that what I've committed is indeed sin. So David says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You know, when it comes to acknowledging sin, um, man, I wish we were in a class so I could hear your comments on this. Um, the time will come, God willing, when we're back in the class at the church building. But thank God for the technology that will that allow us to um, to have this class recorded. The one of the first things that David does is he acknowledges his sin. I want you to uh, notice that that this whole um, prayer for renewal, this whole psalm of contrition, is personal. Um, for those who attend the Antioch Church, you know that I really press this um, that truth that we need to look in the mirror, that we need to realize when we, when we uh, read scripture, that this is not about me reading it so I can tell you what you're doing wrong, or I can tell Debbie, my wife, you know, this is what you ought to do, or anyone else for that matter. 
the Bible, God's mirror for the soul, is designed, is written by God uh, over a period of 1,600 years by over 40 different authors uh, inspired by the single Spirit of God in order for me to read and for me to change. And that's what David's doing in the 51st Psalm. He says, uh, have mercy on me, O Lord. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sins. For I know my sin. And my sin is ever before me. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's very personal. In fact, if you take nothing more from the 51st Psalm, take that with you. Even, even those of us who have been around a while, who have been Christians for decades, even we need to be reminded that salvation, forgiveness, and what Christ has done for us is personal. Um, I heard years ago when I was a child, uh, some preacher somewhere in a message, um, funny how you recall certain lines, and you can forget everything else, but these certain sentences really stick with you. This particular preacher said, you cannot go to heaven behind your mother's apron. Now, my mother was a godly woman, and I was young enough to really appreciate that, but old enough to realize what he was talking about. What he was saying is, when we reach that age of accountability, when we are grown enough to know the gospel and to receive Christ as Savior, to obey the gospel, that we need to develop our own faith. And we need to uh, realize that the sins we commit must be forgiven by God. I can't slip into heaven with my mother's good works. No one can, but by any good works. Uh, we're saved by grace. But the whole thought is, you know, we can't slip in behind someone else's coattail. The Bible is very personal. And that's what David says, have mercy on me. I know my transgressions. Uh, my sin is ever before me. You know, there is a peculiar dignity in taking responsibility. We applaud those who simply say publicly, I've sinned, I've made a mistake, and I ask for your forgiveness. Willing to assume responsibility. Most of the people we see in, in, in public office and in high-ranking uh, uh, places uh, all over the world with power and prestige ne never seem to admit their own mistakes. Um, whether you're in our nation's capital and you're a politician or whether you're just a rich and powerful person, often when you make a mistake, when you sin, even in our Christian universities, um, whenever you sin, you're unwilling to tell the public, I'm very sorry, I've sinned against God, I've sinned before you, sort of like that prodigal son moment in Luke 15. I am no longer worthy to be whatever, president of the university, or I'm no longer worthy to be, to be a senator in the, in, in the Senate. And so you simply resign 
and you confess your sins to others. That is rare. So there's an odd dignity. David was king. He was the king of Israel and a very powerful king. And this psalm was not just for God. This psalm was chanted and sung it throughout Israel. That the 51st Psalm, as all 149 other psalms, or 150 total, uh, were designed to be sung in, in temple worship and in synagogue worship later on, and the times that the, that, that the people of God congregated. And David is confessing his sin, not only to God, but to all others as well. There is, that, uh, there is just this dignity in assuming responsibility and not blaming someone else, not blaming uh, something else. You know, well, this pandemic, I mean, the reason I did what I did was because I've been cooped up in the house, or the reason I did what I did is because, you know, we have 150 years of history of, of whatever, of abuse, and so I'm just not gonna take it anymore even though I've never been abused. And, and, and so forth, you know, we just blame others without assuming responsibility of our own. Um, this will really date me, but don't know if you remember it or not, but in the 60s, um, I don't believe it went into the 70s, but in the 60s, there was, um, you know, Flip Wilson, uh, this African-American comedian, what a great comedian he was. Um, his, his famous line was, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And of course, it always garnered a laugh from the audience. And when I even think about it and see his face, and I can close my eyes and, 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 and see uh, this comedian saying those words, and I still laugh. The devil made me do it. Well, in fact, um, that's what many people will say today. They'll not even take responsibility on their own. You know, it was the it was the evil one who made me do it. Not that I wasn't, not that I was a party to it at all, but the evil one made me do it. You know, the first step in Alcoholics Anonymous, they're in this very famous 12-step program. The very first step was, uh, is um, admit you are powerless over alcohol before you will ever stop drinking before you will ever get on the wagon, as they say, the first thing that you must admit to yourself and to others is you have no control over, you cannot control yourself with alcohol. You are powerless. And they don't use the second person, you, I. If I were in AA, the first thing I would have to admit is I am powerless over alcohol. It's just a great beginning to any confession. It's a great beginning to any renewal. I have to admit that I have sinned and that I have no power over sin. Only Christ has that power within me. Um, the only thing worse, I believe, than sin, I've even been asked, you know, is there, is there anything worse than sin? And I believe the answer is yes. It's a, you know, maybe it's semantics and a play on words. I think the only thing worse than sin is believing 
you don't have any is simply not seeing your sin if if i don't see my sin if i don't know that i've sinned no need for forgiveness and so it's important for the body of christ for scripture to be the mirror for our soul for scripture for god to show me my sins for others who love me to show me my sins no less then Nathan confronted David. Why? God loved David. And so God told Nathan, you go to David, and here's what you say. And so Nathan confronted the great king, and the king accepted the, uh, the rebuke. And then, of course, he fell upon his knees, and we have the 51st Psalm. Notice in uh, verses 3 and 4, I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Uh, in English, as well as the Hebrew text, in English, the word transgressions is plural, and the word sin is singular. Um, and it may not be a big deal. You can just read through it, and, and, and it won't, you won't lose any meaning if you really don't think about the plural versus the, the uh, singular. The singular. But the transgressions that David committed were many. Um, from seeing her bathing on the rooftop, lust in his heart. Uh, I mean, they're just, they're, 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 they're progressive. It was the lust and the uh, power that David used as king. I mean, no one else could have ordered Bathsheba to their bedchamber, only the king. And so you see all of these different transgressions, the lust, the power, the deceit, the adultery, the um, eventually the murder of Uriah, uh, but, the, but the deception when David called Uriah and brought him back home, uh, the drunkenness that he, that he caused Uriah to get drunk, hoping that he would go back and sleep with his wife. And so you've got these transgressions, not three of them, not the uh, adultery, murder, and betrayal. You have 30 of them. There, there are many different transgressions. And that's what sin does. Sin is not a one-time moment. It's a series of transgressions until the sin is committed. And, and David seems to group all of these together. He'll, he'll, he'll say, I know my transgressions, plural, and this, and they represent a singular, horrific sin. And that sin is ever before me. It's always there. And I believe it was always there long after God forgave David. Just like the sins I commit. Isaiah 43, 25, when God forgives, he forgets, but I remember. I remember. Now, the word forget, I believe in the, in the biblical text, um, means that God will not uh, hold us accountable. He will not view us through the lens of that sin. Once the sin is forgiven, he treats us as if it never happened. That's true forgiveness, by the way to treat someone who sins against you as if that sin never happened. 
So David acknowledged sin. He also confessed the sin. Now, there is a difference between admitting and confessing sin. Last week, I talked about the Greek word homologeo, and I think I used the descriptive one, O-N-E, to talk about, to technically say this is what the word homo means, but um, and it does, but not the number one. It, it, it means the same. What I was, um, actually, I reviewed the recording and looked at it, and I thought, you know, I need to, I need to, um, I need to explain that better. The word homologeo technically, uh, literally means same word. A confession is the one who's committed the sin agreeing with, the one who was sinned against. In this case, David says, God. Actually, all sin is against God, and we'll discuss that very quickly in a moment. But homologeo, confession. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, understand that if you sin against me, and I know it, and you know it, then when you confess that sin, all you're doing is acknowledging the words that I know are true. So, therefore, we have, quote, the same word. Interesting how our words come from, you know, I mean, you know, what, what, you know, what the etymology is. And the etymology of our word confession is from the Greek, homologeo, and it means same word. So if I sin against you and I confess that sin, I am agreeing with you. We're having the same word. And therefore, I say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I have wronged you. You know that and I know that. So that's what David was doing in the 51st Psalm. Conviction always precedes, uh, precedes forgiveness. If you're not convicted in your heart that what you've done is wrong, there's no forgiveness. Uh, the two texts on the screen here, 2 Samuel 12, 13, and Psalm 32, 5, all talk about um, how quickly David understood his sin. And he was not just admitting sin, he was confessing his sin. 2 Samuel 12, 13, then David said to Nathan, very simple, I have sinned against the Lord. Psalm 32, 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. It's a beautiful text in the, in the 32nd Psalm. So, we acknowledge sin, we confess sin. Then David adds something I think is not peculiar once you know the context, but, but it may seem peculiar at a, at a cursory read, at a quick read uh, of the 51st Psalm. David writes, against you, you only, have I sinned. Now let me see. David lusted after Bathsheba, he used his power as king to order her to leave her house 
and come to his quarters. It was basically a rape, you know, a really, when you have that kind of power, that's what we're talking about. It was an awful, awful uh, sin. So David sinned against Bathsheba. He then brought Uriah back, and he sinned against Uriah, betrayed Uriah, one of his mighty men. He had Uriah killed, and he had Joash, I mean, um, Joab, um, who was the commander-in-chief of the army, he had him uh, send Uriah to the front line. So you've got the commander-in-chief who was sent against. Now, it seems to me that David's sin was against far more than just God, but Bathsheba, Uriah, the people of Israel, others. Um, but David says, against you, you only have I sinned. And that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. In the end, it's, David is not denying that he sinned against Bathsheba or Uriah. But in the scheme of things, in the scheme of eternity, every sin we commit is ultimately against God. When I sin against Debbie, or Debbie sins against me, or I sin against one of my children, or they with me, you know, by doing things I shouldn't do, and saying words I shouldn't say, and not being a good father at certain times, and so forth. You know, just look at your life. When you, when you, when you look at your life, and you understand, and you see clearly all the mistakes you made, I mean the sins, not just mistakes, but the times that you, uh, that you um, disobeyed God. Initially, you might say, well, I need to ask so-and-so for forgiveness. And I believe that is also true. But in the end, as David would say, against you, you only have I sinned. Um, Father God, creator God, was the creator of the marriage union. He's the one who brought David uh, and his wife or wives together. He's the one who brought Uriah and Bathsheba together and so forth. And so whenever that covenant is violated, then we also sin against God, against the one who, who sanctified the covenant. And there's another way to look at this. I have down, this would take me too long to go into it, but in John chapter four, we have the woman at the well, that whole beautiful story. And Jesus approaches the woman um, who perceives him to be a prophet, and she asks, where do we worship on Gerizim uh, in Samaria, this mountain top, or in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, woman, the hour is coming when you shall neither worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem, for God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And he's talking, he'll talk, he's talking about the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Spirit of God dwells within us, God goes everywhere we go. And everything that we do that is a sin against the Lord is first and foremost a sin against God. 
as well as the sin against others. That may not have made a whole lot of sense, and forgive me if it didn't, but I do encourage you to think about that phrase, against you, you only have I sinned. Um, conscience. When I violate my conscience, I've sinned. My conscience understands the sin. My conscience has been formed by God, by the Spirit of God. There are those who have asked me in the past, and I've asked myself as I read Scripture, how do I know that I have the Spirit of God living within me? And there are many ways I believe that we could, we could um, measure that. But the very least, I think, is 1 John 3, 19 and 20. Uh, the Apostle John writes, This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our, than our hearts. I misspelled that word. And he knows everything. God is greater than our hearts. How do we know that we have the Spirit of God living within us? It's when we do something wrong that we are cut to the heart. Our, our, our hearts hurt. Our conscience is pricked. Nathan could have gone to David. Had David not had the Holy Spirit, Nathan could have gone to David and shared this, this whole parable. And David would have sat back and said, what do you mean I am the man? I've done nothing wrong. I am the king after all. I mean, he could have easily excused himself, blamed others, uh, simply said, I haven't done anything wrong, which is worse than the actual sin, denying the sin. So I encourage you, as you, as you uh, pray for renewal, check your, check your soul. Ask yourself, has my conscience been pricked? Has my conscience been wounded? Uh, has my conscience condemned me? And if so, then follow it through with this prayer for renewal. And then he closed with, you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. I know my, I, I, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. For you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David understood that even with the confession that, that he was guilty, he was guilty of these heinous crimes against God, against Bathsheba, against Uriah, and against the nation of Israel, and that God would be right and just if he simply destroyed David and did not forgive him. So David lets the Lord know in these words, in this psalm, that he understands, he knows he has sinned. There is a reality of sin in David's life, and he understood that. So the steps for renewal so far are two cry for cleansing, and understand that the sin in your life is real. 
and that you need God's forgiveness. And therefore, you need to confess your sins before God. Next Wednesday, we'll, we'll, we'll follow this with verses 5 and 6, and we'll talk about the depths of sin. So tune in next week for another Bible study. Uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Righteous God, I thank you for the presence of all of those who are listening this very moment. And I ask you to be with them, to keep them healthy uh, in body, and keep them healthy in spirit. May we all choose to be renewed, Father. Hear our prayer and renew our spirits through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless.